because we don't have a regular worship leader, but Shane comes once a month. He's typically on the first Friday, and he gives us an opportunity to worship live. So it's a blessing when he comes. Typically, it's on the first Friday. And I figured that this Youth Sunday, we would have Shane kind of show you guys how we do it. Last time, we had a big performance, kind of a bigger feel. And I just kind of wanted to mellow it out a little bit and give you a little insight as to what it's like on Fridays. So you guys know how I am. I'm going to ask for a little bit of audience participation, okay? Now, we've talked about prejudice, about loving the poor, about children and adoption and fostering, about serving the lonely. We've talked about voting, social media. And now I get the pleasure of talking about how we can put all this love into action. So, well, I'm going to make sure you guys are awake. Let's try this. God is good? Pretty good. And all the time? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Not as loud as last time. Let's try this. If you believe in Jesus, can I get an amen? amen? That was pretty good. If you love Jesus, can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So if we've talked about how to be a good neighbor, how to serve the poor, how to love the lonely, how to hold our tongues on social media, how to keep our political opinions and agendas from hurting or offending others, we have all these conversations these last seven weeks on how to be a good neighbor. So now you get to answer this question. How many orphans did you serve this week? How many poor people did you help this week? All right. These are kind of the rhetorical questions. If you want, you can answer, but you don't have to. Darlene, you can shout it out. Don't worry. How many of us visited a lonely person this week? All right. Not as many people. Not as people who say we love Jesus. Hey, man, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Woohoo! Are we serving? Kind of. Sometimes on the third Wednesday of the month, I kind of serve. But if we love Jesus, why aren't we serving? If we're talking about how to be a good neighbor, how are we putting this into action? I asked Eric, I said, what should we call this this lesson? What should I call this sermon? Should it be now what? What's next? And he said, love in action. I said, okay, that sounds better than now what? (laughs) But I want to talk a little bit about now what? So today's lesson is going to make you uncomfortable. I know why, because it made me uncomfortable. This is not to beat you up or make you feel bad. This is not a critique of everything that we've said for the last seven weeks. It is a continuation, okay? It's not that you're bad and you're not doing this. It's that we're just going to continue this conversation of how to be a good neighbor by talking about how we can actually live this out. You with me? Ooh, you with me? All right, I'm going to keep asking you. Uh, I want to talk about Price versus cost versus value. I'm going to say that again. Price versus cost versus value. And I want you guys to relax. If you're like me and you grew up in a certain kind of church, usually when the pastor starts talking about price and cost, they're asking you for an extra offering, okay? There's no extra offering today. There's no special offering. I'm not asking you for money. Today is not about giving. Today is all about service. I'm going to say it again. Today is not about giving Today is about service. Now, we as a church, we're great at giving. I've never been at a church that is as generous as this church. So if you guys 
want or need to, I want to give you some good positive feedback. We're great at giving. We've had people come in that need, like we came in here, last time I asked for money to help the kids go to camp. You guys came through like a bus. We needed a bus for uh, Pastor Kuko, came through. We had the other missionaries that were getting the Bibles translated. We come through every time. But the thing I want to do is I want us not to reach for our wallets. I want us to reach for our schedule books and our planners and our calendars. Because it's really easy to write a check and say, those guys are kicking some butt for Jesus. Those guys are serving their folks. You guys go. I wouldn't want to live out there and do what you guys do, but you guys, whoo here, go. Meanwhile, I'm going to sit at home and watch TV. So this past Friday, we had a really cool event with the youth. We did a pumpkin smashing or smashing pumpkins. It was awesome. The, what, the whole point of the exercise was that we write your fears on a pumpkin. Not, I'm scared of spiders, but your fears of failure, fear of loneliness, fear of whatever it is. We wrote it on a pumpkin, and then we bashed those pumpkins with a baseball bat. And we actually threw them off the balcony, because that's what youth do, right? We say, let's hit it with a baseball bat. Somebody goes upstairs and throws it off the balcony. That's even better, right? And it was. It was even better. And I can't even blame the kids, because that was Heather's idea. But I bought those pumpkins for $3 at Trader Joe's. Actually, you guys bought those pumpkins for $3 at Trader Joe's. Because, again, you guys are great at giving, and I have a church credit card, so thank you for those pumpkins. But those pumpkins cost 3 bucks. That's how much I had to pay for them, because I was a consumer. You see, a consumer thinks in terms of price. How much money is this going to cost me? This is going to cost me $3. A producer thinks in terms of cost. What's the difference? How much time, how much energy, how much sacrifice will it take me for, to, for the, the pumpkin grower, let's say, to grow and harvest and sell and ship these pumpkins? A consumer thinks about taking. A consumer takes. A producer makes or invests. I want us to go from consumer to producer. I want myself to not be a taker, but to be a maker. And so... The value of those pumpkins was not $3. I hope, and the students can tell you, that it was beneficial for them to go through this exercise. We talked about that God, perfect love cast out fear, that fear is not of God. And we wrote them all down on pumpkins. We went outside. I turned on some Smashing Pumpkins music from 1996. <laughs> they didn't know what it was. <laughs> and then we bashed these pumpkins. It was a great time. I don't know how different their lives will be because of this smashing exercise. I hope that the next time they're afraid or they're feeling insecure, that they can remember some of the things that we talked about, that God is greater than our fears, that perfect love casts out fear. So the question is, what is the value of each one of those pumpkins? The price was $3. The cost, well, you've got to ask the pumpkin maker for the cost. But the value, when they think back on this memory, when they watch the videos or look at the pictures and they remember this exercise, how much does that $3 mean to them? That's what I mean by investing. So I want you all to open your Bibles if you have them. Turn on the app if you've got the YouVersion app. We're going to be in James chapter 2 today. Now James is a half-brother of Jesus. He led the church in Jerusalem. And if we know anything from Jesus' teaching, that Jesus tells us it's what's on the inside that matters. But the Jews of the day especially in Jerusalem, we're still very concerned with status and appearance. And so James starts chapter 2 by talking about, really by condemning the idea of showing favoritism. 
James chapter 2 starts saying you should not play favorites. Everyone should be welcome, regardless of appearance, regardless of status, regardless of money, race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, political party. These are all the things we've talked about these past seven weeks about how to be a good neighbor. We want to welcome everybody. And James is talking about that at the beginning of James chapter 2. But in verse 8, we start to shift gears a little bit. I want to read this to you now. Please follow along. If you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. That's what these past seven weeks have all been about, is how to love our neighbors. If you keep the royal law because Jesus is king, amen? Amen. Wake up, boys. Amen? All right. If you keep this royal law found in Scripture that you should love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. But if you show favoritism... You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now adultery and murder were punishable by death. So James is pointing out the severity of this this hypocrisy. You can't pick or choose which parts of the Bible you want to follow. Let me say it again. You cannot pick or choose which parts of the Bible you intend to follow. You cannot take the Bible like a buffet and say, who, mashed potatoes? Green beans? Mm, now I'm good. Ooh, stuffing. Turkey. Oh, carrots. Now I'm going to keep it moving, right? We can't have buffet-style theology. So... Even if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. It only takes one crime to be a criminal. One crime. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but there's some people in here that have a record. I'm one of them. Disorderly conduct, 2000. Woohoo! College, right? So, am I a criminal? Yeah. Am I doing that stuff now? No. But all it takes is one. Now, James points out that through favoritism and by helping the poor, or by not helping the poor, these people are lawbreakers. We are lawbreakers. I am a lawbreaker. Our mission statement says that our, our mission is to grow, know, share, serve, and worship. We can't choose to pray and fellowship and share and serve and worship. Wait, wait, but what about serve? We got the fellowship thing down. I promise you, this is one of the greatest places I've ever been in terms of people loving each other and caring for each other and supporting each other and walking with each other. When we get after service here and we're across the street with the kids and we're just milling about in here, this is one of the happiest, most welcoming, warmest, most loving places in the world. When I came here 11 months ago, whew, not even a year yet, it feels longer than that. When I came here 11 months ago, And I tried to sneak in under the radar like, I'm going to check this place out. I just sent my application. I hope nobody knows it's me. I could even get up the stairs before Eric's like, hey, you're Chris Dickens. And I'm like, dang it, who are you? And he's like, I'm the guy that placed the ad. I'm like, oh, fine. But I couldn't get through the lobby without somebody saying, hi, who are you? Hi, Darlene. She kisses me every week. Every week. Steve Lazar always shakes my hand. Byron, he's not here, is he? Byron gives me the vice grip. You know how he is. Right? This is the kind of church. I'm going to pick on you a little bit, Shane. The Crossing is a great church. It has a lot of great things. They do a lot of things for the poor, for the homeless. If you don't know, we're going to talk about it more in a minute. But I think, I'm pretty confident that I could go to the Crossing, go to service, and get out without anybody really stopping me and talking to me. I know you guys have greeters. 
And I know you have people that, you know, parking lot waivers, front door waivers, but really people aren't going to kiss me. They're not going to ask me what's going on in my life. They're not going to crush my hand, okay, because there's 1,500 people there. They modeled their church after the House of Blues. It has 1,500 seats. It's easy to get lost in there. Sorry, Shane. You can't get lost in here. I dare you to try to come in here and not have somebody say hi to you. It's not going to happen. We got the fellowship part down. We have the love part down. We have the teaching part down. For the most part. (laughs) We have the love part down, but where's the service? We can't choose not to serve. We can't choose to just let that part of the word be done by someone else. Jesus told us to serve, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Matthew 23.11, the greatest among you will be your servant. John 12.26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is not optional. There's no, eh, maybe not. There's no clause that lets you out of service. The Faith Cafe remodel was a huge project. We had blood, sweat, tears. The tears were mostly mine. Well, mine and Robin's, because Robin cried when she saw it, right? But those guys were amazing. They serve our church in a variety of ways. They come and they serve here. They do pretty much every project that needs to be made. And that's fantastic, except for one thing. The church as a whole is not this building. The church is out there. I'm going to say it again. The church is not this building. The church is out there. Thank you. That's not to discredit their work. It's not to discredit any volunteering that you do here. We have great volunteers for the students, for hospitality, for VBS. Tomorrow we've got the Harvest Festival. We need volunteers for that. I'm not saying you shouldn't serve here, but I'm saying you're called to do more. This ain't it, people. As much as I love each and every one of you, I'm not called to, well, I'm called to serve here, but I'm called to serve on a bigger level. Your life is a testimony. My wife is a nurse. Everybody knows Jenny? Hi, Jenny. She serves people every day. Police officers, shout out to Rich. Doctors, I don't know if we have any doctors. Teachers. Teresa Stack's a teacher. You guys are all serving every day in your jobs. And I commend you. But here's the question. This is a Christian buzzword, but it's relevant here. Is your serving intentional? Because the intention of Jenny's job is not to tell people about the Lord. She's able to share her faith every once in a while with people. But the intention of her job is to provide health care, right? If you get an opportunity to share the Lord in your day-to-day work, that's great. That's a bonus. But I want to read something to you. James 2, 12 through 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful and mercy triumphs over judgment. By showing mercy to others, we exhibit the character of God. If I told you that I donated $100 to the uh, Orange County Food Bank, are you impressed? (laughs) Thank you, Ethan. That 100 bucks ain't easy, right? If I told you that I collected a bunch of cans and donated them to the Orange County uh, Food Bank, would you be impressed? 
Okay. What if I told you that I went on my day off and I spent six hours sorting through cans and moldy Capri Suns and getting sticky and yucky and it was a wonderful experience, but I spent six hours on my day off to go sort food for people in need. Which one impresses you the most? Why? Cost. Cheryl said sweat equity, right? Effort. Again, it's cost. What did it take me to do this? What did it take me to serve? Was it writing a check? Was it taking the old dusty cans of peas and whatever we don't eat in the back of the pantry and putting them in a bag? Or is it actually taking the time and being intentional, there's that word again, and going to do something that's going to cause me to sacrifice? Service takes sacrifice. We want to love your neighbor? It doesn't work if it doesn't cost you something. You want to love the poor? Sounds good. We love the poor. It doesn't work if it doesn't cost you something. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? He continues, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. There's a lot here, and I want to give a little bit of, of time so we can break it down a little bit. The go, I wish you well, is a blessing. Go in peace. You hear that a lot, right? Go in peace. The keep warm and well fed makes this blessing specific. It's pious. It's full of faith. God will provide. It's religious. Hey, go. We love you. I'm praying for you. Gotcha. Like, man, I'm going through a tough time. Whew, let's pray and uh, go in peace. Basically, you're saying good luck, right? What it lacks is the actual effort of going to your closet or to your pantry and getting clothes or getting food and serving your brother or sister in need. It's easy to say, I'm praying for you. It's easy to say, God will provide. Have faith. It's harder to put in the work. James says that such a prayer, such a well-wish is dead. But the Greek word for dead means, also means lazy and idle and useless. So wishing someone well or saying I'll pray for you is lazy. It's useless. It's the easy way out. It's pointless. Now I'm going to ask you some questions. These are rhetorical, Darlene, and I don't want you to answer this. Okay? Rhetorical. We are blessed beyond belief in Southern California. We are blessed beyond belief in Eastside Costa Mesa. We are blessed beyond belief in Newport or Huntington Beach. I'm going to ask you this, and again, I don't want you to answer, but how many people in this room are going to leave this church and drive to a million-dollar house or a half-million-dollar house? Ethan is. <laughs> a lot of you. And that's fantastic. I'm not trying to count your money. I just want to point something out to you. It's fantastic that on your way home, you're going to drive by some homeless people and some people in need. And you're going to say, whoo, that's tough. I'm praying for them. Me and Jenny went to a museum in L.A. last week, and homelessness is so prevalent. There are people in, in tents under the overpasses because they get shelter from the rain. The cops drive by them. They don't try to get them to leave. People walk right by them. They don't help. They don't seem to care. It's just part of life. The sidewalks are covered in tents. Now here, I did a, a ride along with Costa Mesa PD about a year and a half ago, and I promise you at least half the calls, a third of the calls were, 
transient, outside of business. Let's go move them. We're not fixing them. We're just moving them. Hey, Billy, can't sleep here. Keep it pushing. So Billy gets up from the 99 over there on Victoria. And he goes over to the Home Depot parking lot. Until we get another call and Home Depot says, come move this guy. But we all see them. You can't tell me you don't see these homeless people. I see them. But you know what's worse is I judge them. Tell me if you've done this. I do this all the time. I see a homeless man with a sign on a corner. And the signs are creative sometimes. But I'll make this judgment as I'm sitting at the light and go, he looks mighty clean for a homeless person. He can't need my money too bad. Ooh, that looks like a new shirt. That homeless guy can't be in that much trouble. He's got a new shirt. He's good. Or I'll see someone with a bicycle or a backpack. I'm like, well, he can't be that bad. He's got a bike. If I was hungry, I'd just sell my bike. These are the things that run through my head. Maybe I'm the only person. I'm a hater, okay? I'm a hater. I'm afraid that these guys are scam artists, that they really don't need my money, that they're trying to get over on me. Because you see it on the news. This guy collects $200 a day by begging, and he goes home, and, you know, he, he has a real job or whatever. And you see these people with their kids, and they have these songs like, please, hungry, God bless, you know, or Vietnam veteran or whatever they try to do to get you to give them some cash. But I judge them, and I determine if they're worthy of my money. I look at their clothes, their shoes, their bikes, their backpacks, and I try to decide if they really need my $2. So me, with a cup holder full of a change and at least a couple dollars in my pocket, I drive past thinking, man, if you can hold that sign, why not get a job twirling a sign for a business? Right? I can't be the only person who thought that. Am I the only person who thought that? Our apartment complex, they have some guy out there every week flipping signs, and he's like, come right here. I'm like, you can hold a sign, you can twirl a sign. Get a job, right? But what happened to God loves a cheerful giver? As I'm judging him, he's judging me right back. I'm sitting in my car looking at him like, oh, he ain't that bad. He's looking at me going, he's well off. This guy says he has no cash, he has no money, but he's driving a 2013. He's really not that bad off. He's looking at me and saying, oh, there's some nice sunglasses. He really could afford to give me a dollar or two. I literally walked by a guy the other day. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I walked by a guy the other day on my lunch break, and he asked me for change. I had a 20 in my wallet. And I said, I don't have any any change, homie. Sorry, I got a 20. And I walked my happy behind right to Starbucks and bought a Starbucks for $3.50. Then I went to the pizza place, can you tell? And I got a slice of pizza, and I had a Starbucks and a pizza, and this guy's literally like 200 feet over there at the bus stop, and he just asked me for change. But I decided that he didn't need it. I decided that I needed it more. So he's looking at me just like I'm looking at him going, you don't need this. He's looking at me saying, you don't need that Starbucks. You sure as heck don't need all that pizza. The Lord is working on this church. Where's Don and Jill? Aha, stand up for me, guys. Everybody knows Don and Jill? Don and Jill are spearheading our missions. They're taking care of global missions like the Costa Rica trip. They're taking care of local missions. You guys can sit down. I just want people to know who you are. They've actually been going around to all the different small groups and presenting ideas and opportunities to serve our local community. Has anybody met with them so far? All right. How many of you have served on one of those things that they presented to you so far? Woo-hoo, Charlie! All right, everybody else, we've got some work to do. Tomorrow night, like I said, is the the Harvest Festival. It's a community outreach kind of thing. 
And we need help to pull it out. So if you're feeling called to volunteer for the Harvest Festival, please do it. But this sermon is not about an event or events. It's about changing our culture. It's not about events. It's about our culture. We need to change our mindset. Our DNA at the very core of our being needs to include service. Shouts out to the crossing. I know it's not a crossing organization. Trellis. Ian was here a couple of weeks ago. He got to speak very briefly. I actually had a meeting with him afterward and said, what are you guys doing that we could be a part of, that we could do on a consistent basis? Because I don't want you to do one thing. I don't want a special offering. I'd love it if you came to do the Harvest Festival, but that's not it. This needs to be a regular part of our worship. It needs to be a regular part of who we are and what we do. Jesus called us to a culture of service. And we serve because Jesus called us to serve, but also because we show our faith in serving. Second Corinthians 9, 12-13, it says, The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Does that sound like a one-time thing to you? We had VBS a couple months ago. I was up here saying, we need two more volunteers. It was one week. Was it three, four, four hours a day? Great. If you served VBS, thank you. I love you. If you haven't served since, we've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. It's easy to say that you believe. Belief is the easy part. I say, who believes in Jesus? Everybody says, amen. And I say, who's serving? And it's like, creaky, creaky, creaky. Consider that James's audience were former Jews who lived by the law. The law, there were 613 commandments. They had rules on top of rules. How far you could walk on the Sabbath, what you could eat, when you could eat. There were feasts and celebrations. There were, you had to sleep outside. There were all these different things that the Jews did in order to obey these commandments. And so when the, the gospel of Jesus comes along and Jesus says you have to have faith, they say, faith? That's easy. I don't have to follow all these rules? Whoo, faith. They sit back in the recliner, put their feet up and say, I've got faith for days. You mean I have to do all this effort? I can just believe? But then James addresses that, verse 18 and 19. He says, but some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And verse 19 is my favorite. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The last one gets me. Even the demons believe. Which means, if I'm reading into it the right way, if you have faith but no deeds, you're really not all that different from a demon. That doesn't feel good, does it? But if you believe and your faith is something that you hide inside, or maybe you come in on Sunday morning like, Hoo-hoo, Jesus! Team Jesus! And then Sunday afternoon, you're right back in your little protected hovel. What good is your faith? Another thing I want to share with you about this, in the ESV translation, I didn't put it in your notes, but James makes a reference to the Shema. If you know what the Shema is, it's the uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, where they recite this, that I believe that God is one. They make this basic creed of, of Judaism that they recite twice a day. Every pious Jew would recite the Shema every day, twice a day. I believe that God is one. I believe there is one God, the God of Israel. Our God, I believe that. I believe, I believe, I believe. 
But Abraham says, I'm sorry, James says, well, this is the foundation of Christianity too, right? We believe that God is one. Three in one. We sing that song, I believe that God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, right? We believe that our God is one. This is the foundation of our faith. So when you read it in the NIV, it says, I believe you have one God. But if you go back to the Greek, and I'm not a scholar, guys. I'm still in school, okay? But I researched this stuff. We're talking about the Shema. But I want to ask you this. If your foundation is, I believe that there's one God. I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe. But you don't do. What good is your belief? James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Then James 4.17, he says, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I mentioned Don and Julie are working hard to encourage us to serve and showing us options locally, but it can't be up to them. We can't say, well, when Don and Jill offer me the right opportunity, I'll sign up. When Don and Jill tell me what to do, I'll do it. When Pastor Eric says, we need more volunteers, I'll volunteer. Now, I I mentioned this earlier. We have some international missionaries that we support. You guys met them. I mean, we had at least three times they've come, right? Pastor Kuko, I forget the other two names. Barney Hooper? Hooper, okay. And then there's one more with the Bible translations. Every time they came, we took up an offering and a collection to support them. We support them, we support them, we support them. And that special offering is in addition to what we already give them on a regular basis. We support them so much, we build them up, we build them up, we build them up. And again, our church is great at raising and giving money, but you can't outsource service. I'm going to say it again. You can't outsource service. We give, and giving is important. Please give. Some of your spiritual gifts are financial giving. You're, you're better off than most, and you're able to give more. But instead of reaching for your wallets, this, and what I want you to do is to reach for your calendars and give time, not just give money. It's up to each of us based on our spiritual gifts. And this is not a spiritual gift sermon, but you know what you're good at. You know where you can get in and fit in, right? I don't have to give you a quiz. Check number box if you like to sing. Check number four if you like to cook, right? We talked about spiritual gifts before, but if you take your gifts and you step over a homeless guy at the gas station on your way to write a check to support the ministry, support the ministry going to Costa Rica, I'm looking at you saying, what about Costa Mesa? We're going to support Bolivia, Istanbul, Turkey. I really don't know where they are. I'm just making up places. I'm sorry. Mexico. We can go down to Mexico twice a year. How many people do we drive by on the way to Mexico? This is me talking to myself, but I'm talking to you too. Because I do my 10% every time I get paid. It hurts. (laughs) It shouldn't hurt. I'm cheerful, right? But I'm on a budget. All right. But um, I want to support the things that we do as a church. But I know it's not just about writing that check. I know it's not just about what Don and Jill say I should do. I know it's not about Pastor Eric asking us to volunteer once or twice a year for VBS or the Harvest Festival. Service has to be part of who we are. And if it's not, we're doing it wrong. So here's the thing. You want to talk about how to neighbor? Let's look around at our community and see how we can help. Because nobody's going to serve for you. It's up to you. Each and every one of you have an opportunity to serve every day. 
Now, am I saying you've got to drive down Newport Boulevard throwing out 20s to every homeless person you see? No. I do not want you to make it rain on Newport Boulevard, okay? That's not the goal. But I do want you to have some practical applications. So after service, in the back, it's Youth Sunday, our wonderful youth are going to have clipboards and sign-up sheets and information for a couple of key service opportunities. These are not one-hitter quitters. This is not a one-time thing. This is a repetitive It's an opportunity to do something on a consistent basis. I'm not asking you to sign up for the next year. I'm asking you to sign up for once. Dip your toe in, see if you like it. And if you like it, do it again next month. And the month after that. And the month after that. The first is something called the community impact team. Does anybody know what that is? Nice. You work at the crossing. He's known Ian for like 20-some years, so he knows all the trellis stuff. The community impact team is part of trellis. And rather than throwing 20s at homeless people, this is not a handout. Ian says it's a hand up. It's not a handout. It's a hand up. I'm going to tell you a couple of facts. Through this program, so far, eight homeless people have been housed. Eight. Eight. Are you saying amen or eight? Eight. Eight. Yes, ma'am. I know. We can do better than that, right? I'm right there with you. Through this program, nine people who were homeless and jobless now have full-time jobs. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Because again, I'm not a fan of just throwing money at people on the freeway that sign. I want to do something that I can see and follow and track the benefits. So what they do is they have a team of homeless people who come and they meet at the crossing and they serve. They have projects to do around Costa Mesa, whether it's raking leaves, cleaning, sweeping, whatever. They do a variety of things. But they have these, the yellow community impact team t-shirts and local businesses invite them to come and do work at their businesses to give them and teach them and train them to show up on time to, to work and interact. And some people just to have a, a decorum and interact with the boss. So what we need in order to support a community impact team, it's usually six guys or something like that. And they go and they do this work and in exchange for this work, Trellis gives them gift cards as payment. Now, we as a church learned that gift cards are probably better than giving out cash. Gift cards, especially to places that don't serve alcohol or anything that could be questionable. So we give gift cards to the 99, right? So whenever a homeless person comes here and they need some help, Eric talks to them. He gives them a gift card to the 99-cent store. These gift cards are donated from all over the place, but they cost about $300. So if your gift is financial giving, you could sponsor one of these community impact teams. They have two that go out every week. Why not three? I think we could come up with $300. But hold on, it's not about the money. They also have lunch. They need people who make lunches. They need people to serve lunches. They need people to set up and tear down. They need people to teach. They have devotionals and little mini sermons. If you feel called to teach, why not go practice and hone your skills and teach over there? They need people to pray for the ministry. They pray before. They pray when they're out serving. They pray when they get back. If your gift is the power of prayer, you're needed. They need people to mentor and disciple. That's an ongoing process. You find one of those guys who's walking with the community impact team, trying to find his way to, to self-sufficiency. Could you be a mentor for that person? When he's in trouble, when he's struggling, he wants to talk to someone, could you be the person that he calls? The other ministry that I have in mind is called Young Lives. It's a division of Young Life. Young Life is a youth ministry organization. Most people have heard of it. But have you heard of Young Lives? It's for single mothers. 
and single fathers or even just young couples. And it helps these young people in need. I have a video that, Mark, if you would show the video, it's a quick testimony about young wives. I want you to take a look. I wasn't really a teenager that liked to party or anything. I didn't really go out with my friends because I didn't really want to. I would isolate myself a lot. I put a face to the world that I was a happy girl, but it wasn't really like that inside. I was like very, very sad. I needed somebody. I just didn't want people to know like the real true story behind all that smile I had. I dated my boyfriend and then that's when everything went downhill. We dated for like a year and then I found out I was seven months pregnant. They're like, you're due like in two months. <laughs> As a teenage mom, my life is very hectic. I work, I go to school. It's very hard to handle two-year-olds and work and school. Other teens don't know that you have another responsibility besides your homework, besides like doing chores. You have to take care of a little baby. You have to find a way to give them milk, bottles, diapers, change them, stay with them. And that's where it's difficult keeping friends. And I lost all my friends, all of them. That's when I went to my counselor and I told her, I need people there for me. And she gave me this flyer and she's like, here, call her. So I called the Young Lives Director, Myrna. She just helped me like, um. The first time I talked to her, I cried. It was just very hard to the point where I wanted to kill myself so bad that I overdosed myself and they had to put my stomach. She helped me a lot. When I met her, it was like I had somebody I could talk to. I wanted to know that God was real. And she showed me the path and God is so real to me. I pray to him all the time because it felt like he was my own father. Young Lives changed my life. I wanted to give myself to God. I wanted him in my life, and I wanted to feel the joy everybody felt when I would see them speak about him. Now my heart changed. Like, now I want to give. I want girls to experience the love I experienced from Jesus, and I want them to know that we have people that want to pour into them. I see differently now. I want my daughter to love God. I want her to know that there is a God that loves her, and I want her to know that I would always be there for her and he would always be there for her. And I look back and I'm like, wow, like I changed. It's wonderful what God does. So here's the thing. Young Lives is based in Santa Ana. They actually had a, a Huntington Beach kind of a branch that was recently started, but they still tend to meet in Santa Ana. A lot of these people are driving long distances to be a part of these monthly club meetings for young lives. So we need, they need, mentors badly. How many people in here, how many women in here are moms? That's quite a few of you. How many dads do we have? Because there's guys there too. They need mentors. They need child care for the monthly meetings. If you like cuddling babies, there's a baby factory just for you. My wife is always telling me, I want another baby. And I'm like, mm -mm -mm, nope, factory's closed. 
But if you want to cuddle a baby, I know exactly where you can go to cuddle him for about at least one or two hours a month. Get all your cuddling. If you're a mentor, you probably get to cuddle too, so extra cuddling. They need people to lead worship, musically gifted people to lead worship for these young lives. They have mixers and games, so if you like games or sports, you can help with that. They do dinner. Every meeting starts with dinner, so if you can cook, if you like to cook, if you like to serve, you have options. If you want to set up and tear down, if your gift is hospitality, they need that too. Again, we need transportation. If you have a big car, a bus, a van, a minivan, and you can pick up a few of these girls and their kids and take them to the meeting every month, it's once a month, guys. It's amazing. They need people to lead crafts. If crafts are your calling and you like crafts, I don't know the first thing about crafts, you can do that too. And guys, they have a specific thing called guy time where they take the guys who are involved with their children's lives or single fathers and play soccer or baseball or whatever. Now, this is a Santa Ana thing, right? Who wants to burn up the freeway to Santa Ana? Well, I talked to Myrna, and they're starting one in Costa Mesa. Yeah, there's no shortage of single mothers in Costa Mesa, right? Maybe they're on the other side of the Newport Boulevard, all right? But they're here, and they need us too. So as they establish this new Costa Mesa chapter, wouldn't it be great if we were part of that? Wouldn't it be great if that was part of our culture? If part of our DNA was serving these single moms and single dads and young moms and young dads or serve this community impact team where we help people develop the skills to get homed and to get a job and to to grow and to become something better than just begging for change. I know this isn't a fun topic. And usually I like to have a lot more jokes. But as we went through this, this how to neighbor, I was like, man, what can we do? Where, where, plug me in. Put me in, coach. I used to box. And so when I get antsy, I start to shadow box. I'm like, right, who can I hit? <laughs> where can I go? And so I was like, we need something that we can run at. Eric likes, I run at stuff. Let's run at something. Collectively. So here's the deal. Oh, one more thing. Where are all my young people at? Young people. People that are too young to have a job who maybe don't know exactly where you fit in here. You're not driving people to the Young Lives meeting. You're probably not donating money for gift cards for Community Impact Team. Mark, can you put up the uh, blessing bag? In the back, I have a checklist for something called a blessing bag. This is something that young people can do at home and make a few of these and keep them in your car. You can put snacks. You can put a $5 bill. You can put toiletries, medicine, Anything you think a homeless person might want or need. So when you're driving down the road and you see that guy with the sign and he's saying, can I get a couple dollars? And you're like, oh, I don't know what he's going to do with my two dollars. Why not just give him a bag with socks? Socks are one of the most desperately needed things for the homeless. With some socks, some deodorant, some baby wipes, some food. Maybe you don't want to give them $20 in your pocket. Maybe you give them this. So young people, when you're done here, I want you to go to the back and grab one of these checklists. And your homework assignment, oh, not homework, no. Your homework assignment is to make at least one bag for someone in need. And I hope you put it in your car so when you see someone in need, you can give them that bag. So young people, this isn't just old people going to give a bunch of money and do a lot of time. This is something that you can do at home. All you need is a Ziploc bag and some toiletries. You can go to Walmart or Target, little vacation center. Maybe you're sad you're not going on vacation. But they're, they're travel size. They're small. And you can hook it up. Even better. Thank you. 99 cent store will hook you up. So here's the thing. <clears throat> Shane, come on up. We're going to have a time of response. I want you to think about what changes you can make to your lifestyle and to your routine 
to live a life of service. I want you to think of what changes we can make as a church to develop a culture of service. And if you feel called or led to sign up for Young Lives or to sign up for uh, the community impact team, or you want to talk to Don and Jill about other opportunities, we have Kohelet. Kohelet, we support them. We support Orlando every, what, every second Saturday. They give food to the, to the needy. How many of us are going on a regular basis? All right. Charlie, I know you go on a regular basis. So these are things, these are opportunities that we have that we don't necessarily take advantage of. So I know this wasn't fun. I know we didn't have all the kids up here singing, and I know it wasn't as... as light as perhaps last time was but i gotta follow the spirit guys and i feel like we need to serve more serve better and be intentional so where are my elders at if you would please stand up we got rich in the back we got john and uh help me i'm i'm spacing right now liz thank you sorry i got stuck for a second sorry liz if you need prayer Grab one of these guys, Pastor Eric, you can grab me, and they'll pray for you. If you need anything, you want to come up to the front, you can stay in your seat. We're going to sing two more songs, and then we're done. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. And let's do better. I just want to say something real quick. Um, Chris was talking about just those bags, and something you guys can add to those bags is uh, just a, a letter doesn't have to be anything specific, but just a general, hey, God loves you. Uh, my wife, uh, she buys like $5 McDonald's gift cards, keeps them in her car, and she buys like, uh, goes to the United States store and buys the cheap little um, cards, and she writes like, God loves you. You can come here, and you can get food, and you can come here if you need recovery, and um, and then she just hands them out. And I have personally seen people be floored by this simple message that God loves you. Because a lot of these people um, at my church, we do a, so every Saturday morning, we have um, homeless people come, we serve breakfast, they do laundry, they do showers. And um, I've personally seen people break like big, you know, gnarly homeless men with huge beards. They're just like, I'm not going to talk to that guy. And he just breaks down crying. Because nobody loves them. We know God loves them. 